everybody. Welcome to Defy Convention. I'm Emily Lonegro, founder and owner of Lime Red. This podcast features our friends and clients who break boundaries, challenge the status quo, take risks, and make big change. Lime Red is a 16-year-old design agency that's a B Corp and has always been committed to social justice and impact since day one. This podcast is an incarnation of our BC, that's before coronavirus, in-person series dedicated to the same ideas of breaking boundaries and defying convention. Recently, when we talked to people about what they wanted in a podcast series, everyone said, we want to talk about mental health, boundaries, justice, and momentum. These ideas matter no matter who you are, and we need to talk about them right now. Let's get started. everybody and welcome to Defy Convention. Uh, today we have Lisa Rablick, who I met in person a year and a half ago, year, year two, I don't know, met you a couple times, yeah. She's an award-winning writer, a purpose-led entrepreneur, and a high-level strategist who helps communities, governments, and organizations navigate complex issues. She does this via her Navigating Deep Change, that's a trademark by the way, methodology, it's a process that she drew from her three decades of the on, on the ground investigative reporting and analysis of contentious public topics like natural resources, indigenous self-determination, climate change, and economic equity. It's a mouthful. That's awesome. Um, she is also a leader in the North American B Corp movement, and that's how we met. It's a four uh it's a group of for-profit companies that use the power of business to build a more inclusive and sustainable economy. She's co-founder of We The Change, which is the With B Corp you. women. Yeah, I mean, I guess we all are sort of co-ish founders-ish, right? Yeah. And so it's a, it's a group of B Corp women CEOs. I think, how many are there? 350 of us? Something, something like that. that. Yeah, over 300. That's wild. There should be way more, obviously. Um, she's also a journalist for over three decades, which is funny because we've interviewed a lot of journalists. So she's written for Time, CBC, The Globe and The Mail, The National Post, and The New Brunswick Telegraph. Oh, by the way, she's Canadian. She's the author of the best-selling New Brunswick Underwater about historic flood levels along the St. John River, and that's one of North America's freshest or largest freshwater ecosystems and how residents came together to build back better, which is so inspirational. Where can people find that book? On Amazon. On Amazon. Okay, New Brunswick Underwater. And her company now that she started what, eight years ago is called Wicked ago, yeah. Ideas. And what a great name for a company. Um, yeah. I can't believe it was available. <laughs> it's so good. When I looked up for Lime, Lime Red was actually taken when I, but the company was in Australia. And I was like, they're, they're, we're never going to outlet, you know, well, they'll, they won't make it. Oh, well, we both made it. And now I still can't have Lime Red, but whatever. <laughs> um, it's so cool to have you here. Oh, well, I'm so happy to be here. This is really cool to be talking to you. Yeah. And you do such big things and going from journalism to consulting and like this big change, you know, the whole purpose of this, the whole idea of this podcast is like finding a thing that's been done and saying, absolutely not. I need to do something different, or I'm here to change this, or I'm here to some, make some waves. And you've done that over and over and over and mm -hmm. over. So I don't know how we're going to pick one thing, but 
you know, I'd love for you to tell us a story that's sort of in that vein of, of finding a thing and saying, this is it, I'm done. I'm going to do something else. Well, you know, why don't I start with actually how Wicked Ideas got started because it, it. it was accidental. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I an am. Accidental business. What a great time. An accidental entrepreneur. Um, so, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so obviously I was a, a, a print journalist um, mm -hmm. and I'm originally from Toronto, but I've made my career out here on the um, East coast of Canada in Atlantic Canada. So as I tell people, we're in our own time zone. We're in the Atlantic <laughs> time zone. We're an hour ahead of uh, New York. So it's okay. like Atlantic Canada and Chile. We have our oh. own time. <laughs> in that little strip okay. that little strip okay, cool. is the atlantic time zone um and uh so shortly after i had had my daughter and i was freelancing because i decided to stay home and freelance um and some sources so so when i when i finally left journalism full-time at that time i was uh, a political columnist for the provincial huh. newspaper um, here in New Brunswick. And, you know, we're, it's a small market. There's uh, three quarters of a million people live in New Brunswick. And so there's one provincial daily newspaper and I was its only full-time political columnist, oh. right? So I was, as I like to say, I was a bit like Tigger, right? In Pooh, I was the only one, right? <laughs> and so, uh, and I was in my mid thirties and I was at home with uh, Alex just, you know, being a mom in that first year. And some of my sources started calling me. And, and so for, as a political columnist, and prior to that, I was a business reporter. Hmm. My sources were the CEOs and cabinet ministers and uh, what we call deputy ministers. So deputy ministers in the, in the parliamentary system are the mo is the most senior paid civil servant. Okay. So I don't quite know what the equivalent would be in the American system, but so, but the, but the senior executives in the government system, plus the, the cabinet ministers or CEOs or, or other people in the, in the C-suites throughout Atlantic Canada. And they started calling me and, but they weren't calling me for what you normally would call a journalist for, which would be, I need help with a press release or I need help with writing. Sure. They were calling for my advice. What? Yeah. Wow. What a huge, that's <laughs> so cool. What a pat on the back. That's amazing. Right. What did you do? You're like, why is this happening all the time? <laughs> right. Because I had written this influential column that had deconstructed government and also broke stories. I, I like, I like being first. I like being well, yeah. the person who's first with the news. So I broke a lot of stories while I was a journalist. And so they were calling to find out what I thought was going to be happening. They called to find out how I thought government was working and where I thought um, government would be evolving too, or they were calling to say, look, we think this is where business needs to go. Here, here's where policies need to change or adjust. And we're looking for under to understand how to begin that conversation with government. Whoa. So that's cool. That's complicated and really and cool. Very complicated. Yeah. So it was like the column disappeared from the newspaper, but the peop the senior, the senior leaders who were reading it for the information came to me to, to get the, still so get they that. They still wanted to know what you they thought, still wanted to even know. though you weren't publishing it for everyone to see. Mm -mm. They still love your brain. Wow. That's what right. A compliment. So that's, that was very heady, but yeah. also very weird because 
I only ever wanted to be a journalist. And now I was being asked to do something else. And um, so I kind of fell into it because of course, again, I was a business journalist, but I don't have a degree in business. Oh, me neither. Right? I have a journalism right? degree. I don't have a business degree. Right? I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. I don't right? know. So like, so <laughs> like, so I remember one of my sources saying to me, Lisa, okay, I'm gonna give you a piece of advice. Um, cause I'm gonna, cause I'm gonna pay you for this yes. advice. Okay. That's good. That was and my next was question like, was when did you say, wait, you have to pay me for this. But right. Okay. Well, they told me I'm going to pay you for this advice. And uh, they said, what you need to do is I need you to go register for uh, the GS for go register for a GST number. So here up, up in Canada, uh, we have a sales tax. Uh, so the acronym is GST and all businesses collect it and then pay it back to the government. Right. Gotcha. So like, we're just, so that's how the sales tax works here in Canada. And, but you don't have to start collecting GST until you've earned $30,000, right? So, you, okay. you, and he said to me, Lisa, go register for a GST number. I know you're not going to make $30,000 this year off of this, but it'll make people realize you're real. Okay. It's a sim, it's a sign to larger companies sure. that you're a real business. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. And so that was my first piece of entrepreneurial advice, which is a bit fake it till you make it. Right? It's all fake it till you make it. Are you kidding? It's all that. I mean, how would anyone do anything if they didn't fake it till they made it? So that's how I became an entrepreneur. And so at that and so, so what started out first, so my husband, he's a photojournalist who had left. So he was taking photos and I was doing writing. And so we created a little company together called Word Photo. And then as I was doing this strategy, um, it occurred to me, then my mind started thinking, you know what, there's more that I'd like to do because I'm still a journalist in my soul and in my heart. And I, I'm certainly challenged by the way journalism was working 10 years ago. And of course, still challenged sure. today. And it was about, we need to be moving into a space where people have the ability to understand the nuance and complexity of large issues so they can make informed decisions, but also participate in that decision-making. So I was also seeing through social media and just the growth of digital communications, that power was beginning to shift from those traditional um, groups of, uh, of power. So whether it's government, traditional media or corporations or even large nonprofits. So power was shifting from, from them into the, into the crowd. Mm -hmm. And so the crowd was now going to be controlling, um, large issues. Um, and so we needed to figure out how do you bring the crowd into that conversation? How do you bring people into that conversation so that they feel like they can understand it and engage and help shape those policies? Yeah. That's where my brain started going. So no bit, no small task there. No small okay. task. Yeah. And well, I'll just be huge. So my, my, my crazy idea with Wicked Ideas when I first created it was I wanted to create a new form of journalism and a new type of journalism um, and, a, and a, a new space that was informed by the way we tell stories as journalists. Um, 
and that was crazy. And I was by myself. And it was 2005, 2006, whenever that was. And um, nobody got me. Okay. Right? Yeah. When you're at the beginning of a thing, nobody gets it. Nobody gets it. No. And famous words from one tech gazillionaire that I was talking to out here, right? Because I went into the tech into the tech space, which I have no tech background. And I'm trying to explain, like, I know it has to be in the digital space, but this is, it has to be something that brings groups of people together. So it doesn't create the filter bubble. And so I was starting to talk about the filter bubble in like 2006 and 2007. People wow. were saying, well, I think that's when the book came out, right? Cause there was the book called the filter bubble. And so I read it and I was like, he's totally right. And then all the tech people that I knew were like, Lisa, Facebook has it figured out. <laughs> don't like, worry about it. Don't worry they, about they it. Like you won't let they, that happen. They were talking to me like you, traditional, traditional journalists, traditional, you know, your day is done. The crowd is going to inform. And they were talking to me about, you know, the collective intelligence and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, okay. Sure, but I also used to read the letters that used to come into the newspaper. And we did filter those letters because <laughs> we're cuckoo for Cocoa Pups. Crazy. Yeah. Right? And they're like, no, no, no. It'll police itself. It'll, It'll police itself. Fine. You're okay. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and here we are today. And here we are today. So so that was my original dream. And I mean, uh-huh. that still remains a dream. And I think we get closer to it with each year that it becomes more of a complete disaster. Sure. Um, but so what, so I couldn't do it in the public space. I couldn't find anyone who would pay me and help me figure out a way to do that in the public space because it was so complicated. Mm-hmm. But people were willing to pay me to come and advise them on how perhaps they could try to do that. Huh, so that okay. is what Wicked Ideas then became. And what is this, what is this navigating, what's this navigating deep change methodology? Is that part of that? Is it like a yeah. process that you take people through to figure this stuff out? Yeah, so the navigating deep change is it, 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 so that also was an interesting journey for me. And so when we talk about being alone, um, you know, when you have an idea and I'm sure you've had this conversation with yourself and anybody who has come up with a, an idea has this, am I really the only person who can see this? Right. All the time. Cannot the answer is no, but right. In, in the particular, for your particular way. Yes. Mm-hmm. So right. It, yes. I, yes. So <laughs> I know that well, feeling. Right. So what navigating deep change is, it took me quite a few years and a lot of people helping me is I've really deconstructed how I used to break news that that the skills that I applied to my research, to listening, to asking the right questions, and then making those leaps of logic to break national news stories. It's the same skill set that we now need under to apply to a Hmm. larger audience to help them make the leap to where we need to go because to get through any of these massive huge problems that we're facing it it's going to be some combination 
of what everybody in the conversation is suggesting is the answer, right? Because as I say, when we're dealing with complexity, when we're dealing with wicked problems, we are all going to be on the wrong side of an issue at some point. Mm-hmm. Don't get to pick what that issue is or what we're going to be wrong about. Mm-hmm. So when we're going to come into a conversation to truly find a sustainable, real solution, we have to accept that something that we hold dear, we might actually have to let go of in order to move forward. Because you don't get to pick. So if we take solving climate change as an example, which is like the biggest, most wicked problem of them all. There's lots of people who have suggestions and they're right, right? And that's important. Is there, it's not that you're wrong. It's just that the combination that you are suggesting is the solution might not work for the larger community. Sure. So there might be something you think is so important, but it's actually the sticking point. So if we let go of that, we might be able to move forward and come back to it again. So how in the world do you help people do? Because you get so emotionally attached to that thing. And right. you, base, you base so much of your identity sometimes on that one thing that like you are the, the flag waver for mm-hmm. or something yeah. like that. Like it's really hard. I find that too in branding. I mean, maybe that's why I do this because we're making strategic, doing brand strategy, digital strategy. And yeah, sometimes like, I am so beholden to this thing or this idea, or this word. But when you're like, well, everybody else around you, all the people who you're serving don't care. Right. And I know you care, but if you want them to come with you, you're going to have to speak in their words and use their ideas to bring them with you or else then you can introduce your thing because right. they don't, they're not going to care about that one thing until they care about all these other things. That's a conversation we have all the time. Right. And, and yeah. often when I start working with clients, um, sometimes it doesn't I, ever work. Yeah. So I use this like four square, like a four quadrant diagram with everybody. And it's, uh, and we can spend days just filling in this quadrant. So if, if you take a piece of paper and just draw that four quadrants. So in the top um, left-hand corner, I put the word recipient and across from it, I put gatekeeper. And these are your formal relationships. Like, so your recipient can be your client, your audience, whatever, but it's whoever the heck you're gearing your thing for. And the gatekeepers, they're the people who have the legal authority to stop you. So that's a very, very tiny group of people. That's boards, that's uh, government agencies. It's very, very tiny. So then below the, the other two boxes, those are the informal relationships. And they're the ones who are really controlling the conversation. So in the bottom left corner, I put, and this is everybody's favorite box. I say, this is the chorus. These are the people who I say, whose lips are flapping, but they ain't helping. Sure. And that could be anyone. That could be someone on your team. That could certainly be the person who's your critic, but it could also be the people who around the table, behind closed door, nod their head and agree with you. But when the going gets tough out in the public space, they disappear. 
or they turn on you. So that's like, and so I say to people, you have to write down their names, like write down, oh, that's Kara. Oh yeah. Right. Oh, we all know. <laughs> and I make people put down their actual names. Huh. Here's what I observed as a journalist and I continue to observe to this day. When you're trying to solve a difficult issue, most people are fixated on their chorus and responding to the chorus. And so when you look, so now go look at the news. Heck, you know, you're watching, you, you're, you live in the United States. Oh, I watch the news More all than time. enough, <laughs> more than enough issues to choose right now <laughs> from pick anyone <laughs> to be your main one i won't even mention i know not we're not going to talk about everything <laughs> we shall not speak i know i don't want to cry in a podcast but but like look at the way the conversation is happening it's somebody on one side says something and the response from the other side is in response to that person right, right. so um and it just goes back and forth and back and forth between the two loudest or extreme or strident voices in that conversation in the public space, right? Mm -hmm. There's no nuance. No and nuance. So what happens is the people who might actually be interested in finding a solution, but can't, don't Cannot handle it. It's ridiculous. Like yes. you're like, I'm, I'm out. out. I'm, I can't. Yes. I'm out. I can't do this. Yeah. So the ability to solve the problem disappears with them because they're the ones who will find the solution because they're not strident. Yeah. So that's the chorus. Figure out who the hell your chorus is and stop talking to them. Yeah. You be polite, but like you don't have to talk with them. It really just feeds the fire, doesn't it? It just feeds really the does. fire. It really does. And yeah, we've talked about that before. Yeah. Like, right. So stop talking to them. And then, so then the last box is the connectors. And I say, those are the people who want to help you because they share a similar set of values, principles, or goals. And there's mutual benefit in me helping you and you helping me. Mm -hmm. And the difference between that type of assistance than the old fashioned quid pro quo Quid pro quo happened behind closed doors and you never want anyone to know that that happened. Mm -hmm. But a mutual, mutually benefit relationship, we don't care who finds out because- Well, we want them to find out because then we all win. It's the best. Win. Yes. So there's nothing to hide. And so, so that piece of transparency, which is the other half that goes with our communications revolution, you're dealing with it right off the top because you're being open in this relationship. Yeah. Um, so, and I always say, when I start working with organizations, most of you don't know who your connectors are. So let's start simple name. Cause again, it's names. names. Don't give me organizations, give me names. And I say, start with your 11th hour friends. Who do you call mm -hmm. when you need help? Start there. Those are the people. Those, that's the beginning of your network of change makers. Mm -hmm. Because that is anchored in trust. And so you need to build that out person by person. And that's how you're going to solve a big complicated problem.
It's funny because I kind of like when you were talking about it, I was thinking about this in relation to the pandemic and about what's happened to a lot of our networks. Right. So that chorus where, you know, I used to pay attention to that chorus all the time. And what are people saying? And blah, blah. I mean, I used to pay attention to it. I very long ago decided to not care about it. But when you're not, when, when your bubble, my nettle network went from lots of people to like five. Right. That five is, are these connectors of these people who like, when you are really done, who do you talk right. to? And everybody else who, I feel like their um, energy sucks. They're like, they, mm -hmm. you have strings, you have these like little strings of energy out to them. And they're just really just sucking the life out of you and keep you from liking what you do anymore. They're the reason why you give up. They're the reason why you quit because you're hearing all these people tell you that what you're doing is wrong or you're not great or you're difficult to work with or you're bossy or just whatever. I'm not yes, I am talking about myself, but <laughs> you know, like you just have to shut it off because at the end of the day, you know, you're here for a reason and you're doing something that's worthwhile and you need these connectors and people who really share your values and vision and see you for who you are to keep you going and keep you on. And then it, the relationship, yes, is very mutually beneficial. It's mm -hmm. a lot of trade. Like we do a lot of bartering, a lot of trade and it's great. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's no, it's no surprise that people who have those really strong connector, really true connections and friendships or business relationships are the ones that make it through things like this. That's right. So it makes a lot of sense. And I just, I love thinking we do a lot of models like that too. Like yeah, you're right. <laughs> competitive analysis, positioning, like I almost right. every day look at a quadrant of something. Mm -hmm. um, and I love the way you thought about that. Mm -hmm. so, so, okay. So on that, so maybe, that's based on how I used to think about run and invest. Like if I was doing investigative journalism or if I was trying to break a story, right. Yeah. So like, so so those, those, those chorus and the connectors. So as a journalist, there are people who want to speak to me who are mouthpieces or are just dumb, right? And they think siding, sidling up to a journalist is smart. And so they, th and they feed you bad information. Oof. Well, you're useless. I don't care who you are. You can, I don't, you, you can be the press secretary for whoever you want, but you're an idiot and I don't want to talk to you. So I, would never talk to that, like, fine, whatever, I'll be nice to you, but I'm not listening to you. And I began to pay attention to who actually was an honest broker of information. That's what I was That's looking what you for. you need. That's who you are. Right. And so when you think of a journalist and you think of our source list, right, which is the most valuable thing any, any journalist owns is their list of sources and we guard it. Um, the value of those relationships, right? Are not just built on you, Emily, you gave me information for a story is that it's mutually beneficial. You can call me and ask me things and I will tell you what I know, right? And so we are bartering information constantly back and forth. So you trust me and I trust you and I'll make sure that when you give me a piece of information that could cause you harm, if people know that you gave it to me, I will protect you. Mm -hmm. I will keep you safe, right? And that's that whole logic of protecting sources and stuff, right? Because sometimes when you need that information, you do have to protect who's going to give it to you. And so that experience for me, for spending the first like 20 years of my career, learning to do that mm -hmm. is what 
it's it's interesting what the transferable skill it is, right? It really makes sense. Yeah. But, it really but when you look sense. at that those boxes, you can see the the trail of of an investigative journalist's mind in that. Huh. Or at least I do. <laughs> I I see it. I mean, we work in models all the time and that, and we're always mapping things out and looking at audiences or looking at positioning or looking at something like that. But yeah, it makes, mm -hmm. and it's, we're such, we're, we're visual people. A lot of us are visual learners. So it just makes sense to see it. And then you start to see the actual patterns, which mm -hmm. is, I think the really exciting part. Okay. So on sort of in that framework, when you are thinking, you're like, you, you figured out a model, how that model translates to something totally new. You're mm -hmm. at the beginning of the B Corp stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you're at the beginning of this idea and everyone's like, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you make sense. This is never going to happen. Facebook will be, it'll be fine. Don't worry mm -hmm. about it. Okay. So when, when you're doing that, we were talking before we started recording that it can be very, very lonely. Number mm -hmm. one, being a mom is lonely. Mm -hmm. Being a leader of a company is lonely. I am those things too. Being um, at the beginning of change or talking. I remember pitching my business in a business thing like in 2015 and saying that my values lead my conversation. The values of my company are the thing that'll attract the clients that I want in the future. And I remember someone saying to me that nobody's going to care about that. Right. And literally everyone cares about that now. And we're, we're like, it's the number one reason why we get hired is values alignment. And, and I know that cause I did a survey and found that out. So I know mm -hmm. that that's true. I'm not just saying it's approved this woman wrong, but she was wrong. And I think I might've mentioned her a few times in this podcast, but anyway, how do you not lose steam? How do you keep your head in the game and keep it going? Because it is not, it's not, it's not fun all the time to be at the beginning of a thing where you're constantly trying to prove your idea or um, make the case for something or work in a way that where you're introducing a new concept to a whole bunch of people. It's exhausting sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, how do you keep going? Oh, well, um, I think it's important to note that you actually do lose steam right? And yes. that's okay to acknowledge that. Oh my God. Like I've now gone through so many cycles of this is going to be awesome. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like, right. <laughs> that now, like when I say to my husband, okay, I think this is going to work. Like with each successive time that I say, okay, I, I'm kind of excited about this. I've now gotten to, okay. So I like where this seems to be going and let's see how it plays out. Right. Like 10 years later. Um, it helps to have that close circle of friends who are like, you can do it. I think um, it also helps to um, have a network outside of your, out of, outside of your, where you're operating or working. So for me, um, we, the change. So the gathering of women CEO um, B Corp, companies that I went to the very first meeting. So I remember um, getting the email in December, I think it was December, 2017 from Eileen Fisher. Um, yeah. And so, you know, so I live in Canada, you live in, you know, the North as well. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, it's yeah. like, it's, it's cold. cold here. Yeah. Know? And so I, I still remember that day, that email coming in and I don't know what possessed me. It's, and basically it, it said, Hey, you know what? 
uh, if you can make yourself to Irvington, New York on this day, I'll have a free uh, women's leadership seminar. And I was like, sign me up. Sign me up. <laughs> yes. And um, so it was total planes, trains, and automobile um, trip there. Um, it's, not hard. it's not easy to get there. Oh my God. I did not know there was a middle yeah. of nowhere. Yeah. I had to book at an extra day in New York because just because of the travel time, it was nuts. It's crazy. So like, just so I, so your listeners can understand, like, so Irvington, New York is about, I, I want to say half an hour, 40 minutes outside of Manhattan, like literally yeah, at least. stand on the shores of the Hudson River and look at the Manhattan skyline. And it, I truly was planes, trains, and automobile. I was, I was, um, I was definitely channeling my, uh, my countryman, John Candy, because uh, for me to leave New Brunswick, um, I had to fly to Toronto. So fly backwards then fly to LaGuardia. Oh, and then from there, forget it. And drive from LaGuardia. <laughs> so yeah, it was an extra, a full oh, day yeah. travel. I took, I flew to LaGuardia and then took the bus to Manhattan, but I knew it because I used to live there. So I took the bus, stayed downtown, saw some people. And then the next day took the train out with, um, I think it was Anna. Yeah, yeah, we went, yeah, we went out together. But then once you get out there, you have That's to take beautiful. a car. It was like, well, I'm just going to walk, you know, because being in a city, I'm just going to walk everywhere. Well, that was ridiculous. And I had really dumb shoes on. And then you're set up all day with tired feet and dumb shoes. But anyway, yeah. it no, was no. just like, but once you get there, it's fantastic. It's right, just exactly. so great. And <laughs> so that was just it so like that's an example of something that came along just when I needed it. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I had been trying so hard. And so I was doing fine. The consultancy was doing fine. But I just wasn't getting the traction around the great big huge idea that I had. And I and people were like, that doesn't make sense, Lisa. I like I, I don't I don't think that's a business. I kept getting told. That's not a business. Because part of my challenge is um, I live in a part of the continent that doesn't have a media infrastructure, right? So I'm a journalist, but I'm working in a part of the country that is um, part of the resource economy, right? So we have forestry, we have fishing, we have mining, and we also have um, oil and gas. Like uh, we have a refinery. Mm-hmm. So we, I live in a part, and, and agriculture. So I live in a part of the country similar to other parts of North America that is heavy industry. And so even the next, um, the next economy, the digital economy, the technology, the technology that is being developed out here is to serve around efficiency and large industrial processes, because that's, you know, that naturally is what would grow out of this. So there's, I don't have a lot of peers here. And what I also don't have here are technologists who understand what I'm talking about because they're working in that space. Hmm. And so can listen to me and say, ah, oh, well then this could become this, right? Like there's, we, I, I don't have that cluster here. That's not the cluster that exists. Um, so that makes it doubly lonely because I needed to leave to find that peer group. Um, and so, like I said, so we, the change came along at right, at just the right moment. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Same, same thing with like the, 
um, Conscious Company Magazine's Leader Summit mm -hmm. and their Women's Forum. Those were those were things that started and I went to the first ones and like at a time when, I mean, I started my business in 2004, there was nothing for, I mean, we didn't even have the like, oh, you can go be in the women's group. There was like one business organization that was like, basically let's take the guy, the man's capitalist model and just repeat it. And I was like, right. this is trash. This was trash before, why are we doing this? So yeah, I mean, it's lonely then, but like finding, really finding these people in these communities has been like the lifesaver. Cause I think in 2016, I really wanted to give up. I was mm. really just done. And I knew, and I didn't know why, but then my partner and I kind of recommitted and, and kept going, but yeah, finding the women, the, we, the, we, the change has been so good. And especially, I think the cool part about that is, you know, for a lot of years, people said, oh, your mission driven business idea is not a thing that anybody right. cares about. And and then you, but you meet a group of people like We the Change or the Conscious Business Leaders. Now there's a bunch of them, and there's a whole bunch of conversation you just don't have to have. You right. can just get right into the meat of of the struggle that you're, and everyone gets it because we have already all bought into this idea that we have a triple bottom line, that that's a good idea, that it's still profitable and actually very profitable, and we should be equitable and inclusive and all the things, and we have all proven that. And it's just such a nice thing to be able to then talk shop and figure out these big problems because we are all kind of in it for the same reason. So when we say, well, profit isn't my number one goal and no one looks at you like you have three heads. It's just so nice because so right. many people do when you say that. Like, yes. oh, not, I I'm not interested in profit. I'm not interested. I mean, I am, but right. I'm also interested in all these other things and I'm not interested in creating lots and lots and lots and lots of jobs. I'm creating... I want to do the right thing for the right reasons. And that's a different business mindset. It's a very different mindset. Yeah. And, um, so that just thinking that way is also different. So like, so I was, I am different and kind of first through the door on a number of places where I am. So, uh, so I'm first through the door through thinking about deep change and, mm -hmm thinking about how to address com complex public issues. So that still is not a very populated space. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Right? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. Because um, yeah. it's a massive big thing. thing. Yeah. Um, but then I was the first B Corp in New Brunswick. Um, and so talking about triple bottom line is still... Um, a difficult conversation out here. So um, in the three maritime provinces, which combined we'd have a, probably a population of about 1.5 million, there are only 13 B Corps. Really? Right across the, uh, you're right. So it's still, so again, I, I also, I, I think there's some really interesting learning and some really interesting things can happen out here and in other places throughout Canada and the United States that aren't as heavily urbanized and that are still, their economies are still very rooted in resource extraction and heavy industry because those are the economies that need to shift, but how do you help that shift? And, but it's a different type of conversation about triple bottom line and purpose-led thinking than you would have in New York or Toronto or Vancouver or Chicago or Seattle, 
where that concept is already accepted Mm -hmm. and not unusual. Here, it's still unusual. And so where I see um, a challenge and a warning for all of us is change happens at different speeds in different places. And part of the larger economic inequity that we're witnessing in the world, but if we just use North America, is that the places that were the financial centers of the old economy, so where that where the extraction wasn't happening. So the, the extraction went into the big cities. So Chicago is a great example. It was a hub for, for, what, for agriculture. agriculture. Sure. So those are the cities that have moved faster into the knowledge economy because they didn't have the sunk costs and they already had a network because they were moving the money. Mm, right. Where the, where, the, where, the, where the resource was being extracted or created, they were a single line into the hub. Yeah. They don't have the networks developed yet. And so we're in date, and I mean, I think we're seeing this politically, right? And the wrenching apart of the big, huge urban centers and everybody else. It's, it's not that those other places won't come along. It's just, they're not at the same place in the story. So I'm a writer and I often say to clients, you know what, you're in chapter eight of your story, but you're telling it to someone who's still on chapter one. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be patient and go back to chapter one and help people come along on that journey with us if we're actually going to make this massive change happen. Can you write that book, please? Huh? Can you write that book? Can you write that book? Maybe it's a workbook, but I think like, can that be your next book? Because if we could all do that, we would be so much better off because yeah you're right we do I live in a, a, a progressive bubble mm-hmm. and yeah and I like it and mm-hmm, sure. right, we do need to go back and find that that chapter one because it, yeah we're ahead and in Chicago I always think is like kind of behind everybody else generally but here we are um I think that's a lovely place to to end and uh now I will be right uh we'll talk in a year when that book's on the shelf <laughs> That's like the one we need. We need that progression that, yeah. Uh, we could workshop a title maybe later too. Okay, well, awesome. I'm awesome. good at that. Okay, um, let's do that. Lisa, <laughs> I am so glad to finally figure out what you do for a living because <laughs> I've seen you in person and virtually many, many times. And I just love, I love these ideas. This It's so relatable to what we do. And like, I, I love thinking about these big things too and these models of, of change. It's really cool. Thank Thank you you so much for your time. This has been lovely. Thank you so much, Emily.